So, Martin, can you like introduce yourself for the audience? Yeah, so I'm a track and field coach and a strength conditioning coach based in Switzerland. Currently, the Swiss national coach for the hammer throw. That was my own event. I, I competed in that for many, many years. Um, was 11 times Swiss champion, and uh, for the past 10 years, I've been the national coach in the hammer throw as well. Also coach at a local club, um, do strength conditioning work with track and field athletes, rugby, and a few other sports. And uh, yeah, that's the the quick the quick overview. Nice, nice. So, what like uh, what got you into like the bonder track approach at the first place? I as I said, I was a hammer thrower. Uh, bonder Chuck is known throughout sports now, but I mean, his most well known on the hammer throw because that was his own sport. He was. Olympic champion back in 1972. He was Soviet national coach, coached the world record holder in the hammer throw. I mean, and as a hammer thrower, if you are looking around at the best throwers, the first place you look is Bonnerchuk and and his his crew of throwers from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So when I was, you know, 20, 21 years old, I was coaching myself for the most part. Had a few mentors, but really the day to day, the training plans and everything I was writing for myself. And I was trying to figure out how can I do this better. And of course, you look towards Bonnerchuk. I started researching him. I started reading um, everything he'd written. And this is before he had his most recent books. You know, you'd have to go um, back to the these the horrible translations from the 80s and <laughs> try and figure out what he was doing. And, you know, one article said he did one thing, another article said he did something completely different. So it was really hard to patch it all together. And I was lucky enough um, in 2005, when I was 22, uh, Bonderchuk moved about four hours from where I was living. He moved to British Columbia in Canada and I was in the United States um, in Seattle. So right near the Canadian border. And as soon as I heard he was there, I got in the car, drove up, spent two weeks with him for a training camp and ended up working with him for the next nine years, either remotely or in person. Um, he was writing my training programs, coaching me and really got to learn firsthand. Um, but you know, it comes back to, he, he's the man in the hammer throw. And so he, um, and it's not just, you know, a lot of coaches, they pad their resume, um, you know, with people that they met once or on their resume. And he's literally coached, you know, Olympic champions from the ground up to the top of the sport. And when you work with him in person, you see, you know, he's really a master of the craft. He can, he knows the theory, he knows the practice. Uh, and I was hooked when I first met him there and I knew that, you know, this is the guy that is going to take me to the next level. And, uh, you know, that's who I want to learn from. Cool. Cool. So can you like, uh, give us some thoughts about like how he classified the exercise? So they're like, Bonnerchuk, I, I think, as I said, he knows the theory and he knows the practice. And one of the things that helps him carry it from the theory to the practice is he's really good at simplifying things. Um, you look at his training, it, it's pretty darn simple. And you look at his theory, it's pretty darn simple. The translations are, are and often times not very good, which makes it seem more complex than it is. But really, there, there's he, he's a simplifier and he tries to simplify things. And so the exercise classification scheme he has is one example you know, we need to understand if we're going to put together a training program, we need to understand where the different parts fit in. So he breaks everything we can do in training into four categories, um, depending on how specific the exercise is. So the most specific is the competitive exercise. That's 
the sport. So as a hammer thrower for us, that's throwing the hammer for a sprinter that's sprinting for, you know, a baseball player, that's a pitcher that's throwing the ball, you know, whatever the sport is, that's your sport is the competitive exercise. You take a step back and you get um, specific developmental exercises, SDEs, we call them though. That's where you start to break down the sport into its part. So you get part of the movement, so as a hammer thrower, it might be, okay, well, well, we're doing releases that look like the hammer thrower. We're not doing the full four turns and release, but we're doing releases. So we, we take a part of the movement. We're using the same muscles, the same energy systems, everything else. We're just breaking it down into its part. Um, and, you know, for, let's say for a sprinter, that might be doing, you know, a 10 meter sprint. It might be doing shorter distances. It might be doing uh, work on maximum speed. It might be doing, you know, however you in your own sport can break down your sport into its parts. That's what you're doing with the specific developmental exercises. The third category is you step further away from the sport are the specific preparatory exercises. And the specific preparatory exercises, you're training the same muscles as your sport, but it's no longer training the same movements. So, you know, a lot of people are confused here because in other classification schemes, this is called more general work. And it is in the sense that, you know, we're not replicating the movements. You know, we're doing squats for the hammer throw. We're doing cleans. We're doing bench press. We're doing these different things that are using the same muscles, the leg muscles, the core muscles, but just with different movement and coordination patterns. And then the general preparatory exercises, um, that's the furthest removed. And here, you know, you're training also different energy systems. So this is some of our work capacity work, our, you know, endurance work or mobility work or, or things like that, where it's, it's very far removed. Often for hammer throw or for any sport, you're not doing a lot of this work because it's just so far away from your sport, but you are doing some in the warm up. You're doing some in the cool down. You're doing some maybe in, in, in different phases throughout the year. Um, because you need a bit of all and you know, there's obviously the more specific something is most likely it probably it's going to transfer more, but that doesn't mean that things that aren't specific aren't going to help or play a part in the, the grand scheme of things. So like, so for all those years you've been like uh, using the bonded truck approach, what do you think that the exercise classification can help athlete grow or is there any certain point that 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 that's gonna hurt them? I think there there are ways that it can help and there are ways that it can hurt. I mean, first of all, if you look at your training program and sit down today, no matter what program you use, if you use a bottom truck program, if you're using a traditional program, whatever, if you look down and you sit and see, okay, what am I doing in each category? And that will help give you an overview of, okay, where am I focusing my work? You know, if most of my work is spent on general preparatory exercises, you're probably losing your focus a bit because you're two steps removed from your sport. Now, if all your work is focused on the competitive exercise, you probably also have some issues there too because um, you need to have a balance throughout those. And that's one thing I think a lot of people look at Bonnerchuk stuff and they see, oh, you, you know, he's very focused on specific work. Um, but we have every single training, we have something from every category in there. We're doing the whole spectrum of things. Now, there, there's focused work on specific stuff and you have to have some of that that's really key and that's really going to be especially with elite athletes which pushes the performance forward but you have to have that whole spectrum there i think also when you you look at the at different exercise categories it, it helps you to see you know how much thought you put into the exercises now like we could spend a lot of time in the specific preparatory stuff 
debating what is better you know do do you want to do a front squat or a back squat or a box squat or a jump squat or, or these types of things or you know do we do cleans or snatch or hang cleans or do we not do any olympic lifts or do we you know there's all these debates going on and i think bondershuk would say look you're spending a lot of time focusing on details where the details aren't too important there the importance of that category is you need to develop like strength um you know you're two steps removed so like I wouldn't waste a lot of time on the details there. Just get that work done. Where you need to focus on the details is on the specific stuff. And there, I think a lot of people think, okay, I'm doing specific work. I'm doing something that looks like my sport. Therefore, it must help. And that's also a, a trap people can fall into is that just because it looks like your sport doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be helping you get better. Um, you need to spend all that time analyzing instead of on the general stuff shift that time and energy to the specific stuff and don't just assume oh because i'm throwing hammer i'm going to get better well how do you throw the hammer what type of exercises um are you going to use talk about the bosch stuff a bit later but really hone in on okay what's what do i need to develop in the technique how do i select exercises that are going to develop that technique and just because something looks like my sport doesn't mean it's going to be the best it might actually look a little bit less like the sport than another exercise, but it's going to help develop that weakness or that that technical flaw I'm trying to fix and get things better. And I think that's a lot of people see a lot of the Bondarchuk stuff. They see the specific strength exercise people post and they just copy and paste them without thinking, okay, well, this is a specific strength exercise to help the release. But my athlete has a good release. I don't need to spend time on the release. I need to spend time on the start of the throw or I need to spend time on, on this element or that element. And um, that's simplification is good to put these in the four categories but the next step is then to analyze in those categories okay what does my athlete need to get better physically technically tactically all these elements so like um for all for all those coaches who are interested interested in in the bond truck approach what do you think that is the main mistake that coaches make when you when they implement it i think so uh, most of the coaches actually go all the way to implementing it um i think do it quite well and so i think the um there, there are two ways people implement it one way where people might make mistakes is just copying the exercises they see oh bondershuk is about specific strength we need to do more specific strength and that can help but you need to pay attention to the details so i think that's maybe one mistake people make the people who, who go and read and try and implement the whole training program um and its whole periodization methods the people who invest that time into doing it i think everyone i've talked to is generally doing it pretty well i think one thing that can be intimidating you know, as i said bonchak keeps it simple and you know he really boils it down we have a little bit from each ex each category in each training um, but his main periodization approach is, you know, you do something until it stops working and then you try something else. Like that's the, the quick and dirty <laughs> explanation. And, um, you know, we might take 10 exercises, we throw, we do a specific strength, we do a couple lifting exercises and we'll repeat that over and over until it stops working. And then we, we change it and provide a new stimulus. I think there people tend to get that right, but they tend to, if anything, one tip I would have is to have more patience because I think, you know, it, it doesn't happen in a week or two weeks or three weeks. You have to really stay with it probably with a lot of athletes, depending on how often you're training, four or five, six weeks. And 
you know, when you're doing the same thing every day, that can, there's an urge in the sense that I need to change things. This, this can't, I can't keep doing the same thing over and over. And internally you're just being pulled to change things. And so I think the, um, that, that would be my one tip is just be patient and see how it goes and make sure that you're really getting the most out of what you're doing before you move on to something else. Cool. So when it comes to like uh, the bonded truck approach, like special developmental exercise, special development exercise, how um, how would you compare with like the France bosses, like uh, special strength training exercise? The, I think there's a lot of parallels and I, I've gotten to know Franz Bosch really well over the last probably seven, eight years too. I had a good chance to to meet him back around when his first book came out and work with a lot of people who have been influenced by him a lot. Um, John Pryor, who I think you've had on um, as well and see in person. I think they're trying, their periodization methods, first of all, are completely different. Um, like, like Bosch is all about variation and trying to really get a different stimulus and being able to to create a robust athlete who's able to handle anything thrown at them. Whereas Barn Chuck's just throwing the same thing at them over and over. So from the periodization point of view, they're very different. But I think on the specificity specificity side, they're really trying to accomplish a lot of the same things. Um, you know, Bosch is trying to to break down the movements into their their parts and really strengthen up those key parts. And so, you know, he'll talk about, he's a lot more motor learning language and stuff. So he'll talk about attractors and, you know, what are the attractors in the movement? And these are like the things that really are the key drivers of the movement. And, you know, you have some things on the side that, okay, one athlete might have their arm a little higher or a little bit lower. You know, those are more matters of style or matters of individual size of the athlete or their background or things like that. But, you know, you might say, okay, everyone has a certain angle when they, they enter the throw or everyone um, has a certain posture um, and trying to focus in on what are these things for your sport and then finding ways to, to develop those and enhance those. So they're really both in the sense there are trying to figure out first off, what, what matters the most to my sport and how do I train it? And I think they'd also probably be in agreement that, you know, a lot of what we do in the weight room is probably not going to help, especially lead athletes, you know, um, you know, whether, a hammer thrower squats 250 kilos or 270 kilos probably is not going to be the game changer. Yeah. They're not going to squat 150 kilos. They're not going to be super weak, but um, you know, once they get a certain level of strength, they have enough engine to throw far. And then it becomes about how do you transfer that? How do you generate that power and transfer it into the implement? How do you get that specific strength through to the implement? And the same thing I'd say with Bosch is that, you know, the limiting factor for a lot of sprinters is not power. It's, you know, it's able to, to transfer that power into the ground. And there's so many factors involved with sprinting. You know, you have power and flexibility and stiffness and coordination and you, know, you got 10 different factors. And we always tend to focus on the strength one and strength is important. That's a part of it, but they're both trying to bring attention to all these other factors that play into the performance equation and um, do end up, you know, being more determining factors in elite performance. Nice. So that brings me to the next question. Like, um, it's probably going to be like a little bit stupid, a stupid question, but would you put the special shin training into it? Like, 
if I'm a coach, I want to like implement the bond attract approach. Would you put some sort of like uh the special strength training from French bosses into the special development exercise? Yeah, I, de- I mean definitely. And I've once I've learned a lot from Bosch. I've taken that into bond attract. I've also taken um and mix both of them into kind of what I'm doing with a lot of my athletes. You know, a lot of my athletes I'm working with at the moment are are youth athletes under 16, under 18, under 20. Uh, so we kind of have a mismatch of, you know, what works for them um, and their, their training age and their experience. I mean, the, one of the big things I like to use are the, the aqua bags and, you know, these are kind of water filled bags with handles on them. Um, you know, think, think about like a medicine ball filled with water or like a tube filled with water. And there, I think, I think one of the things with Bonnerchuk, as I said, it doesn't have a lot of variation, but there's a way you can put a little bit more variation in there. And, you know, if you're just doing the same movements over and over, I do think you create a fragile athlete over the long term because you need that variation. You need that general stuff. So like I said, with Bonnerchuk, with my, how I implement it with our warm up, we get a lot of different variations of movements. We'll, you know, we'll play games. We'll, we'll work in different planes of movement. We, we add in that variation there. So the athletes get it more well around the training, but also in the specific stuff, you know, if I'm doing a plate twist, holding a 10 kilo plate and I'm twisting left and right and left and right, it's not a very dynamic exercise in the sense that the environment's the same, the implement's the same, my body's the same, nothing's really changing. I'm just turning and turning and turning. And, um, you know, we'll we'll mix that up a little bit and use an aqua bag. And it's, you know, very small change. We're just changing the implement there. But I think it, it brings a lot to the exercise because first off, the, the water's moving in there. So you have to have a lot more core tension, pre-tension, as, as Bosch will talk about, um, co-contractions in that movement. So first of all, it increases the quality, I think, because because the water's moving around a bit, you have to have a much better posture to be able to execute the exercises. Second, um, and you know, this goes back to the attractor's point. A plate twist, if the the weight's light, I can have a forward posture and and twist back and forth. You know, if I'm swinging an aqua bag because I'm moving and the water is going with it, you know, when I stop and change direction, the water keeps going and the amount of force at the extremes is much higher. To be able to execute that properly, you have to have a much better posture upright because if you're leaning forward, you won't be able to stop the implement and go the other direction very well. So it inadvertently brings you into that posture you want. So you're not just training the muscles anymore. You start to train the posture you want just by changing that implement a little bit. You also then get to hear feedback. So, you know, if I'm moving back and forth, I can hear the water slosh. And so then I know, okay, if I have a 10 kilo plate, all I know is I have a 10 kilo plate. If I have a, a aqua bag with 10 liters of water, yes, that's also 10 kilos. But then I get the second feedback of not just the weight, but I hear that if I'm doing it well, it becomes loud. So you get that auditory feedback for the athlete, which then increases intent, increases quality. So little things like that, I start to put into the training where I, you know, you take some of the motor learning aspects, you figure, okay, an athlete needs to work on their posture. Let, let's do some exercises with the aqua bag that really promote that posture. They add a little bit of a dynamic to it, which means each rep is going to be a little bit different, which means the body has to prepare itself even better. And then um, the intent is also increased because the you get different types of feedback. You get the auditory feedback. You also get the feedback where if you're bent over, you're not going to, the athlete feels the rep is not executed very well because they're off balance. 
So you get that secondary feedback too, where I as a coach don't even need to say anything because they can hear it and they can feel it, whether they did it well. So that that's like I guess one example of how I would use something, um, some inspiration from from Bosch in the training of my hammer throwers. And we have a lot of other ones we we put in there too, but we definitely use that. And for me, more than anything, it's helped give me a framework for how which specific strength exercise I choose. And as I said earlier, sometimes, you know, it's not always the things that look the closest that are the best. It might actually look a little bit different, but it's really promoting that attractor. We want to focus on the hammer throw. And if it's focusing on that key element we want, in the end, I guess I don't really care how it looks as long as it's really training what we want it to train. Nice. So um, in the France boss system, there's they're gonna they're gonna divide divide like uh they divide the movement into like there there's a, like a tractor, there's like fluctuator. So how exactly do we like um know that which are we looking at and what are the attractor we should focusing on? Yeah, I think, I mean, for each sport is going to be different. And I think a good way to look at it is really look at the top performers in your sport and see what they start to have in common. Now in a closed sport, like hammer throwing where, you know, we're all doing the same task. It's quite easy. We We can see, okay, well, this guy, you know, starts slow. This guy starts fast, but they both have the same posture. So that okay, that posture is probably the basis of what you're going to need to accelerate it afterwards. Um, so as we can start to see from that point of view, okay, what are the attractors and what are the fluctuators, the, you know, the more style stylistic elements there? You know, in a sport like rugby where it's so diverse, um, you know, different positions are going to be doing different things. It's really hard to say, okay, all the top people are doing this or that this is a common thing. I think what Bosch does a good job of there is, okay, there's a hundred tasks in these sports, but what are the one or two things that will help you at all the tasks? Um, so, you know, simple, um, John Pryor's done this quite well too. He talks about, okay, let's train the options. You know, let's put, let's train things that will put you in the position to give you options so if you have the ball and you're running you know you need you can either pass the ball you can kick the ball you can run the ball you can change direction you can stop you can start you know all these different things and if you you know are running with you know chest up and foot from above simple you know kind of running mechanics type things that's going to allow you to do all those things so it's going to give you a better tool set and it's going to keep the defenders a step or two back because they don't know what the heck you're doing now if you're running with your 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 you know piked forward with your shoulders down you're not gonna be able to pass it you're not gonna be able to kick it um all you can do is keep going forward for a couple steps and you're gonna fall to the ground so that limits your options and then also on the other side the defense knows okay this guy only has one option i can close in on him and tackle him so i think the, the uh, john Pryor's done a lot of good work in that and seeing okay with those team sports is yeah it's about finding those things that the good athletes do but it's also about trying to look at your sport and look at all the tasks you have and what are the commonalities in those tasks that if you train them they're going to show up in most of the tasks um, and really help you the most as an athlete and give you the most options when it comes to game time cool cool so when it comes to like learning like you mentioned there's going to be like model learning so like how much variation do you do think that the athletes need? And this is something I, I think I, I keep changing 
more and, and beyond even Bosch. Like I've talked a lot with, um, so Kevin Becker's a, um, professor in the United States at university of Tennessee. And I've gotten to know him quite a bit uh, because he used to be a hammer thrower. Um, first off, so that's always helped. He kind of knows my sport and knows it, but, um, I'm quite involved with Fern Gambetta's conference and we've gotten him to speak there the last couple of years. I think he does a good job of, of balancing, because a lot of the more learning talk can be, you talk about attractors and fluctuators, you talk about, you know, all these different things. When you go to a, a normal coach, you know, especially like a, a youth coach at a club, you know, wherever in the world, they're not going to know any of those words. And, you know, like in the end, that's not going to help them plan their training. And so I think Kevin does a good job of taking that stuff and really boiling it down to, okay, what is the most important thing uh, coaches can use? And, and with the motor learning, we can talk about constraints, led approaches and differential learning and these types of things. But at the same time, if I go to a training session now with my 15, 16 year old athletes and I have a completely constraints led training and I step back as a coach and let all the, the, you know, I spend hours designing the perfect training session that just runs itself. They get feedback from the constraints that puts them in the position they want. It's, you know, it's all great stuff. But if I set that up, I'm going to lose my athletes because they're they're so used to traditional training that it, there's a lot of good stuff in the new approaches to motor learning. But you also have to sell it to the athlete and you have to be able to connect with the athlete. And, and some of that just requires a traditional approach as well and pulling them over to these new ideas instead of just forcing them into these new structures. Um, and so Kevin has done a good job there of talking with me about, okay, how do we balance some of the traditional approaches and bring in some of these new elements? And he talks often about like a hierarchy, you know, it's like if, if basic approaches are, are working, if, you know, if your athlete's getting better technique, that's probably fine. And once you realize, okay, I'm stagnating, um, then you can start to use these other tools and, and kind of go deeper and deeper into things as you realize I need some help here uh, to get the athlete to learn, learn more. Um, so it's all about, getting the athlete to learn just like it would be with a math teacher or a science teacher. You know, if the athlete's learning with that method um, it's great. And you have really good teachers who might have old school methods, but they just connect with the students and same thing with coaches. You might have really good coaches with old school methods, but it connects with the athletes and it works. And if it works, that's the goal is we want them to learn. And so I think we're, we're quick to judge that, you know, one method is better than the other and this and that when we should instead be looking at how is the athlete learning and if they're learning, then that's fine. If they're not learning, then we need to start looking at how to change things up. Um, and so, I mean, your question was how much variation. A traditional hammer throw or even like a Bonnerchuk approach, as I said, has very little variation. And I have moved away from that over time. The one thing Bonnerchuk, I think, does well is he, we throw heavy implements, we throw light implements. And if you look at traditional in track and field or even in baseball, um, you know, people would just throw the baseball, they would just throw the hammer and, and more common now over the last 10, 15, 20 years, thanks a lot to the influence of Bonnerchuk is that we're throwing light implements, we're throwing heavy implements, but even then it's still a very blocked training. We'll throw 10 throws with the heavy hammer and 10 throws with the normal hammer. Um, and so I have looked and I have, that's one area of my training has changed probably the most over the last five years is figuring, okay, how can we, change that up do we you know do we go heavy light heavy light just to get a little bit more differential impact do we you know do uh, some type of a constraints type of exercise for a couple reps and then back to the normal one to try and see if we can carry that that 
trait back over to the normal event. So just trying to mix and match different exercises and work. I think my toolbox is probably the same, but the order of exercises and, and how I, I pair those in training um, has probably changed uh, to add a bit more variation, not in the number of things I'm doing, but how I'm sequencing them, I guess is what I would say. Cool. So um, in, I haven't, haven't read the third book, but in the first two book of like the French, French boss system, they pay a lot of attention into like, like, like you mentioned, like motor learning or how the brains learn new things or how to, how the body like perceive, like, uh, perceive pressure per or like perceive new stimulus. So, um, from a traditional approach, do I personally think it's probably way too much on like um like how the brain learns or discussing too much on this but what are your thoughts on like paying so much attention on like how the brains perceive new stimulus before i i think it depends on the sport i think in sports like rugby i spend a lot of time on that and also putting things in context. In a sport like the hammer throw, our stimulus is fairly constant. There's not a whole lot changing in our environment. So we spend less time on that just because we, we, we don't have many stimuluses. In, in rugby, you know, the, the defender is never going to be in the same position. You're going to never be in the same position. All, all these different things are, are it's very a much more dynamic environment. So you have to train like that as well. Um, and, you know, you can try and replicate that in some sense, you know, you see all these flashing lights and this and that to try and get athletes to be more reactive or react to different stimulus, but the stimulus is very specific. And, you know, just having a flashing light, is not the same as having a hundred kilo defender running at you. Um, you know, being able to tell which direction that person is going to move, how their balance is, all these types of stimulus. Um, it, it's very specific and, and you need to train it that way too. And I, again, I think that comes back to the need that, we need the specificity and specificity isn't just something that looks like our sport. It's really understanding the sport from a physical level, but then also from, you know, from the brain, like how is the brain receiving those, um, that input, you know, and also it's, it's not just one or the other, like I said, it's, it's both, but then at the same time, the physical is again connected to the, the brain. Like if you're, if your head's not in a good position in the game, you're not going to be able to see and hear what's going on around you. So that's a physical component is having, you know, good posture that allows you to see things that allows you to process things. And then you process them the right way. And it's, you know, it's always going back and forth between the brain and the body and the, and back to the brain and back to the body and how all that connects is important. And I guess a common theme here then is, <clears throat> you know, Bosch's, you know, main book, it's 2015 book, strength training and coordination. It, you know, it's coordination. Coordination is about connections and it's not about getting the foot stronger or getting the leg stronger, the arm stronger. It's about how you coordinate all those things. And the coordination then also goes to the brain. That's another muscle. That's another part of the body that we have to connect to the whole system. So, um, you know, that it's also with Bonderchuk too. It's, you can build up a really strong engine, you can build up really good general strength, but if you're not able to coordinate that and be able to express that power and that force, then what good does it do you? So that's, you know, coordination is like a key word for both of them.
Nice. I saw, I'm sorry I put you in a hard position to answer this question. <laughs> no, it's not a problem. So, um, last question before I let you go. Okay. Okay. So, can you like give us some like example about like, uh, since like more and more coaches or like the French bar system are getting popular and more and more co- coaches are interested in their approach? Can you like give us a, an example about like, uh let's say for rugby player like you mentioned and like there's like eight attractor can we discuss about like foot foot plant from above how would you how would you um explain it and implement into your training is it from i think there's a common like misconception in in rugby that you want your feet close to the ground because if they're close to the ground then you can get on the ground and change direction quite quickly um if you look from a track and field background and sprinting like the force that the main forces that are propelling the athlete forward are not forces going backwards their forces coming down and you know to be able to to do that you need to have a higher foot off the ground you know it doesn't need to be your knee doesn't need to be completely high, but you need to be able to be high enough that you have time to apply force into the ground. And that's from a sprinting straight and straightforward perspective. But also from a agility perspective, you think about you need a certain amount of force to be able to change direction. Your body's going one way. You have to be able to generate that force. And if your foot's only, you know, 10 centimeters off the ground, you're not gonna be able to generate much force that's going to be able to change something. So it's the same type of concept if you're want to change directions is you have to be able to create force and put that into the ground. And so that's one of the things Bosch talks about is, you know, you need to be able to attack the ground from above when you're running. And that requires, you know, this is just one element, but again, it's connected to other elements. You know, that's on the one hand connected to posture, you know, having your chest up, uh, having a good posture is going to better allow you to attack the ground from above. So that's one way you can look at it is that's typically the first step, um, we look at in rugby is just teaching some basic mechanics of having the chest up, having, you know, the swing leg retraction, having, you know, some of these basic sprinting mechanics. And um, the, the other element we, so basic running posture is the first thing we look at and, you know, we'll do drills like that with basic things running, you know, with a stick on your back running with a stick overhead. You know, if you have a stick overhead and your posture starts to come forward, you it you really notice it a lot more because you, you talk to a lot of athletes and you tell them to run with their chest up and their chest is forward and they don't notice it. They're like, they say, oh yeah, my, my chest is up. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> so, you know, doing an overhead stick run, uh, a very simple drill where you can really work on that chest up. And because your hands are overhead, you're not swinging with your arms. So all the power has to come out of your legs as well, which then forces the athlete to get slightly higher knee raise and uh, attack the ground from above. So that's probably the first thing we look at is just basic mechanics, really simple drills. You know, you can also do wicket drills or mini hurdles, um, you know, set up, you know, 20 centimeter hurdles and having that little bit of a hurdle, you know, in front of you, you see that and your body's automatically going to raise, um, your knee up a bit more so that you have to come over the hurdle and attack down from above. So that's, you know, a, a, both of those are constraints. One of them is a constraint taking the arms out of the picture, which forces the leg to do more. One's, you know, putting the hurdles out, which is forcing your your body to adapt over the, the new environment, over the hurdle to go down from above. You know, those are two ideas you can do to work on that. 
Um, but again, it's all connected. Like for me, one of the big things we also like to work on is ankle stiffness. And this, you might not think, okay, the ankle stiffness is after you're on the ground. What does that have to do with things? But, you know, how you come off the ground will affect how you come back to the ground. So if you, if you don't have a very stiff ankle and your ground contact is very soft, you're going to spend more time on the ground, which means your legs are going to be further behind you, which means it's going to be harder to bring your, your knee back up forward, retract it and um, attack from above. So we'll do a lot of basic little ankle hops, barefoot type of work, um, plyometrics, um, bounding, things like this that are just working on that ankle stiffness because I feel like that has a a good carryover to that foot from above concept because it's, you know, the running's a cycle. The start of one <laughs> rep or one stride is, sorry, the end of one is the beginning of the next. So if you, you can focus on the part where you're attacking the ground, but it's also then what happens on the ground which will then recycle to the next step as well. So I'm sorry I, I said that's the last one, but really this 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 is the last one. Sorry about that. <laughs> so in the book, they, they said that that there's eight attractors. So what do we know? Like I, I know we probably answered this one before, but how exactly or is there like movement screen you do or any sort of like screening you guys do to know which to work on. I think in his agility book, he talks a, a bit about this more where he, he uses a specific example of agility where he goes through the attractors, but you can definitely prioritize those. Or like I said there, you know, a foot from above, uh, chest up, head up, um, you know, ankle stiffness. And the, those are probably the key things for me that I'm looking for. If you get those right, you're probably doing most of the the sprinting well. And yeah, you can you can clean up some other things on the edge, but there's definitely a priority there because I think that there there are there's a hierarchy that, you know, if you do certain things right, it's gonna be 90% of the way there. And then you, yeah, you can focus on the small things, but only after the the big the big stones are moved. And I would also say um again, they're connected. So I mean if if you understanding all of them is important. If you fix one of the attractors and make it better, it probably will help some of the other attractors too. So it's not that we're working on all these in isolation, like I was just saying with the foot from above part, you work on that one, it's probably gonna be related to working on two or three others. Um, so they're all connected. I think you have to really understand and see for your sport though. I think every sport's gonna have a, a couple of things that are most important. Um, and it's hard to say which one is the most important, but there, there definitely, there definitely are more important ones in each sport. Oh, appreciate it. that's that's like all the question I have for you today. So, for those who are interested in what we are talking about today, where can they reach out to you? I've got lots of information about Bonnerchuk and Bosch up on my site. It's hammermedia.com. It's spelled H M M R, so without the the vowels, hmmrmedia.com. I'm sure you can put a link to it up. Um, up there, if you become a member, we have some webinars from from uh, Bosch. We have webinars about the Bonnerchuk method, all kinds of stuff. We also sell Bosch's books, uh, so you can get a copy of that as well. And we have also content from myself and Nick Garcia, how we've implemented Bonnerchuk stuff. We have stuff from John Pryor about how he's put Bosch's work in practice with Japan rugby and um, uh, Australian rugby in Fiji, and he's been all around in different places uh, putting it into practice and taking that theory towards practice. So we've got a lot of resources up there. Um, 
about the topic. So check that out and the members get access to, we've got probably 50 plus videos on a variety of topics as well. So lots of resources up on the site. Appreciate that. I personally enjoy those, like those content you post on Instagram and that's content yeah, you post on your website. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No, I need to be more active on Instagram because I'm um, often, I, I take a lot of video training, but then I forget to post it. So I need to, it's a good reminder that I need to do that more. Nice, nice. Thank you.